0: You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information.
1: Welcome to Beyond the Headlines with your host, veteran journalist, Darren Nichols. Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Headlines. I'm your host, Darren Nichols. On Sunday, to say we lost an icon is an understatement. Judge Damon Keith. He was a champion of justice and equality and the nation's longest-serving judge. His passing hit the nation. Everyone from Barack Obama to Eric Holder and Mark Morial sent condolences. For one of our guests... He was a mentor, and he clerked for him. And with another, it was his uncle. Welcome to Beyond the Headlines to both Luther Keith and Spencer Overton.
2: Thanks, dear.
0: Glad to be Thank here.
1: You. Okay. Thanks, dear. And before I get into what we're going to talk about, let me explain who you both are. Um, for those who do not know, Luther Keith is now the guru, CEO of Arise Detroit um, and, one of, one, and was one of the top editors at the Detroit News. And Spencer Overton is of the Joint Center for Political Studies in Washington, D.C., who was a clerk under Judge Keith. Um, and the Joint Center was and is uh, the top think black think tank in America. Um and so to both of you, um, give us your opening thoughts about Judge Keith and what he meant for you guys in terms of um, Luther in terms of him being your uncle, and Spencer in terms of um you working for him and what he meant for your law career.
2: Well, for me again, uh, growing up, uh, I first thought of him as my uncle. You know, and we're talking about you know fifty. You said years ago, he was just a young lawyer, uh, or 60 years ago, he was just a lawyer. And um, uh, my father uh, was the oldest of the family. Uh, My Uncle Damon was the youngest. So he's the last of six siblings. But uh, as he tells me, he drove me home with my mother from the hospital uh, after I was born. So that's where that relationship started. And uh, growing up, you know, he was a young lawyer. Uh, We didn't realize uh, uh, all the fame and accolades that he would win later, but I just appreciated him because he was just there as a family member. And of course, as I got older, I learned of all the incredible things uh, he did as a as a jurist, and it's something that I take pride in, and comfort in uh, in this time of loss.
1: Okay, and for you, Spencer.
0: Well, uh, Darren, for me, you know, he was just a, a primary mentor for me in terms of. Shaping me and my approach to the law and my development as a young lawyer, uh, you know, just there's so many lessons I learned about treating everyone with respect. Uh, you know, having courage with regard to difficult decisions. Uh, just some key values, confidence in what what uh, we were doing in terms of uh, lawyering. Uh, he was one of the most important federal judges in the history of our nation. Uh, but it's also important to believe, recognize that he believed, he, he acted on his belief. You know, he believed in diversity and black lawyers. He hired more clerks of color than any other federal judge in the history of our nation. You know, he never forgot where he came from. He was incredibly humble. Uh, and, uh, you know, we'll get into some more details, but... You know, it's just a a major loss for our nation. Okay.
1: And so for both of you, in in different aspects, how was it living with such an iconic figure? Because when you're around someone and you're living in the moment, you don't, and sometimes in some ways you don't really grasp um, all that he has brought to the table. Um, And so as you look back at it now, what is it about him um, that made him such an iconic figure in some sense, but one that Detroiters could relate to because he was always there. He was always Judge Keith. Um, and he so in, in those kinds of ways, talk to me a little bit about that.
2: Well, I think that Spencer hit on a good point. One of the things that made it so easy around him because he never wore his titles and achievements on his sleeve he would speak to to sweets, street sweepers to janitors to to cooks uh to presidents and and judges and and but but he always wore his power very lightly so when i interacted with him uh, as as his nephew, who was as his nephew. Not just I'm Judge Keith, and uh, you know, so he never wore that. that and and to me, it tells me that people who are really who are really really comfortable in their own sense, they don't need to let you know that they're in charge and they have power. They wear it very lightly, and that made such an impression because he never changed from that. And so I never, I never got the feeling that uh, he that that he was more special than anybody else that i knew in terms of my aunts and uncles one of the things that's been a revelation for me darren is how many people say i never knew you were related to damon keith because i never told anybody i was related to damon keith unless they asked because i had too much respect uh for him and it was never about tell everybody that uh i'm your uncle it was i love you because you're my nephew and so, uh, for me, uh, as I, and of course he was a great man, a great intellect, but to me, as a, just as a human being, he could have been a school teacher and people would have loved him, okay? So that's, that's kind of like what I drew out from him, and then everything else he did just made him that much more uh, a magnificent human being, in my opinion.
1: Okay, and Spencer? Uh,
0: I, you know, I really agree with Luther. I mean, uh, you know there's so many skills I learned from him in terms of just being a lawyer and writing and uh, you know different legal standards and all that stuff. But you know, more important was just how he treated us and interacted with us. You know, he was very well known around the city, but whenever he'd go to an event, he would introduce his clerks to everyone right? And when I say everyone, I mean, he'd be speaking and he'd have us stand up. That's just the way he was in terms of being team oriented and acknowledging other uh, people. Uh, just the the respect that he had for uh, other people, the person on the street who talked to him, who, you know, he just engaged in conversation. It's so easy when you're on the federal bench to almost uh, be removed from society and to be some, have some kind of elite uh, status where you have a lifetime appointment. And that was never Judge Keith. He was always in touch with people. You know, he had, he, he was an incredible legal intellect, but he also had significant emotional intelligence. Many judges are great individualists, right? They can write an opinion. They can analyze somebody. They can do some questioning of someone. They're great as individuals. He, he was certainly great as an individual, but he also leveraged other people. You know, he had emotional intelligence and he could develop his team in terms of chambers and his clerks. But then he could also work with the community. He was a figure in the community. Uh, and so, you know, he just had a incredibly high emotional intelligence in terms of how to to motivate and inspire others in terms of their better angels.
1: OK. And, and Spencer, talk about his legal genius and what he passed on to you. People like Jennifer Granholm, uh, you're talking... Uh a number of people uh Derek Lopez, who's a good friend of mine um yeah. you're talking about a number of people that run the gamut in the in the law field, Jocelyn Benson and others. What did he pass on to you all, and what is it that you learned from him on a daily basis?
0: All right. Well, I think it's first important to just kind of step back. Uh, You know, some listeners may not be as familiar with his legal uh, track record here. He was a Howard Law graduate here, and he was a mentee of Thurgood Marshall, who is, you know, we know was on the U.S. Supreme Court, who argued Brown v. Board. And Judge Keith was appointed to judicial positions by President Lyndon Johnson and President uh, Jimmy uh, Carter here. Now, in terms of his accomplishments, big decisions, you know, he ordered President Nixon to stop wiretapping without a warrant, and he was upheld by a unanimous Supreme Court. Uh, he realized that housing segregation excluded black families from educational opportunities in uh, in, in Pontiac, and he ordered busing to desegregate Pontiac uh, schools, and it led to massive backlash from the KKK. Uh, he, he found that Detroit Edison put, put black dots on the applications of all black applicants to discriminate against them, and he made them... Um, Uh, adopt an affirmative action program. Uh, Also, in the aftermath of 9-11, he ordered the Bush White House to open up deportation cases to the public. Uh, His famous quote from that case, democracy, die behind closed doors, inspired the current slogan of the Washington Post. So he's had a lot of accomplishment. Now, he has produced a number of people. You named some of them the former governor of Michigan was a former clerk, Jennifer Granholm, Jocelyn Benson, who's the current secretary of state, Lonnie Guineer, the first black woman professor at Harvard Law School, Ron Machen, who is the U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia under President Obama, the chief administrator of the officer for Toyota, Chris Reynolds, uh, Judge Eric Clay, who's the current U.S. Court of Ape- Appeals judge, uh, just so many people. And I think, you know, he really taught us a commitment to excellence. Uh, timeliness. You know, often there, you know, we were uh, some of the only uh, uh, voices of color uh, on the Sixth Circuit. And, you know, everyone was watching everything we did. Every opinion we wrote got read to see if someone disagreed with it. And it was really important for us to do top-notch work in a way that was consistent with Judge Keith's past writings, And also, you know, uh, do work that was was consistent uh, with with where we're moving in the future. And so, uh, you know, he really taught us a commitment to excellence, uh, strong legal writing, uh, and then also this courage piece, this notion of standing up in difficult periods and making tough decisions, that that's why we were there, that, you know, other people had made sacrifices so we could be there, and it wasn't our job to basically just move ahead for political expediency, uh, but to really make the right decisions. He really had a commitment to that.
1: Okay, and uh, Luther, talk talk to us a little bit about your tribute column that you wrote in the Detroit News this week, and tell yeah, us.
2: Yeah, uh, I actually wrote the first part of that a couple years ago. The when his Autobiography biography came out Crusader for justice of the trade public library they did, they published a special series on African American authors and featured a number of authors. He was one of them. They asked me to write a column uh not about his tremendous judicial conscience which Spencer uh so eloquently outlined and they are amazing to hear them recount it like that, but I to write a more personal column because of and that's what I did because I say. He drove me from from the hospital. And some of my earliest memories of him was, I grew up on a little street called Columbus by Linwood Lawton on the west side of Detroit, and we grew up playing alleys in. The, uh, I'm sorry, playing baseball in the alleys when I'm seven, eight, nine, ten years old. Little kids setting up in the alley, hitting the ball down the, down the alley, and I remember my uncle Damon. He probably was in his thirties by then, or late thirties, coming back into the alley uh, to play baseball with us. And, in fact, he could hit the ball. And uh, that was a lot of fun. And then, as I say in the column, as I got older, uh, I became more aware of the column. And one of the anecdotes that resonates with me so strongly, when I was about 16 years old, I had a chance to, a friend of mine, a coach invited me to, on a camping trip out in, west, out in Montana, Wyoming. I had never been out west before. I had done a little camping up in the U.P., but uh, he said, uh, this was like 1967 when gas was less than a dollar, if you can believe that. And he said, Luther, if you come up with $75, I, you can come on up this camping trip. We're going to camp out under spires and tent. We're going to see uh, the deer and the big mountains that you see on TV. And I said, wow, that would be awesome. And I said, man, I just would love to go. And I went to my mother and my father. Now, my father was a postal clerk. He had four kids, and he was sending, they were sending all of us to Catholic schools on a postal clerk salary. So how they did that, I don't know. But in any event, I went to Mom, and I said, Mom, I, I really would like to go on this trip. Can you, can you give me $75? And basically she said, we don't have $75 for you to go look at mountains, okay? <laughs> we need that money to support the family. So I was kind of like crestfallen, and somehow to this day I do not know how I did this. But I worked with the courage to go down to my Uncle Damon's office in the federal courthouse. I said, Uncle Damon, uh, I got a chance to go out west. Uh, I, need, like, 70, I need 75 dollars. Mom and Daddy said they don't have it. Could you loan me these 75 dollars, and I'll pay you back as soon as I get the money back. Now, at that point, I had never had a job. I was 16 years old. And he said, without missing the beat, yeah, sure, son. Like, he always calls me son. He said, sure, son. He gave me the 75 dollars. I went out west had the time of my life. Got back uh, that winter, my Aunt Marie Harris, who was the oldest girl in the family, who was an elevator op- operator at the old Hudson's building. And um, she got me a job as a stock boy, my first real job. Uh, so I met, I got my first paycheck. I was excited, I cashed my check, caught the bus down to the courthouse downtown, saw my uncle, said, Uncle Damon, I got your money, here's your $75, he, he looked at me and said, he said, "Keep your money. Don't worry about it. I don't need your money. You keep it." So to this day, I owe him that seventy-five dollars that he would never take back, <laughs> and that it was said a lot. Another thing uh, I often remember about him is that, of um, you know, at one point he represented the uh, Detroit Tigers. Willie Horton who was a big baseball star, and so as he started getting more, he was playing to the Civil Rights Commission. I, he, you know, his head. He, he started catching a lot of headlines, and it really came to me at what point was. Also, when I would go down to his courthouse, there'd be like thirty or forty lawyers lined up the hallway. If you ever been in that courthouse, I'm not sure Spencer knows what I'm talking about. Waiting right. for an audience with my uncle Damon. Here I am, a little teenager. I walk right in. They open the door. I let me in. I had my conversation with my uncle, and I walk out. So it came to him. One of the lawyers said. Uh, your Honor, why do we have to sit out here in the hallway and this young, young kid walks in here and goes right into your courthouse? So he said, We don't take care of that. And my Uncle David said, you know what, that young man is my nephew. And that ended all the complaining by that lawyer. And so, which means that even in the midst of all of this legal heavy stuff going on, he said, that's my nephew. Send my nephew in here so I can talk to him. And so... um. And then, of course, as I became a journalist, at one point he was trying to talk me to go to law school. Fortunately, my brother did that. I was not smart enough to go to law school, okay? Uh, I became a journalist.
1: Come, but, come on, come um, on. Even say.
2: as a journalist, though, he appreciated what I did. He always encouraged me. And um, he, he just had a lot of wisdom about dealing with And the other thing, if I may add here, uh, picking up on what North Spencer said, the, the kind of decisions he made... I have been deluged with people approaching me the last two days. Common, everyday people. I had a doctor's appointment this morning. At least six people came with me in the waiting room to say how much they loved Damon Keith and appreciated what he did. And I think that if you look at his opinions, you'll see all of his, the mo, his opinions. For the most part, these bigots are about. Equal opportunity for people. They're about leveling the playing field, getting getting rid of discrimination, making sure kids can receive an education, making sure that you do get educated in a in a court of law in public. Um so I think that people Joe Lewis had an expression I've misstated in the past, but during uh World War Two when he was visiting the troops, he said he said, We are on God's side. You generally say God is on our side, we are on God's side. And I think that uh, people felt that Damon Keith was on their side, and that's why people are responding the way they do. Okay.
1: And, Spencer, what's what's some of your fondest memories of Judge Keith and working for Judge Keith?
0: Oh, there are a variety. I think a lot of them. I'm going to step off for just a second. Uh, a lot of them involved going to communities and churches and other places, and just having average people uh, recognize and appreciate Judge Keith. Right? Uh, very few court, you know, Court of Appeals is the second highest court in the land, right under the U.S. Supreme Court, and there not a lot of people know U.S. Supreme Court justice or U.S. Court of Appeals just uh, judges. But a lot of people knew and appreciated Judge Keith Uh, is funny. Uh, This really just goes to him. One woman said, uh, well, Judge Keith, it's so good to see you. Uh, I vote for you every time. And uh, it was. And that's funny because, you know, he wasn't elected. He was appointed right. for life. And so he just said, well, you know, uh, thank you very much. I appreciate I appreciate, you. I appreciate <laughs> you. Right. And so uh, average people knew who he was and respected him, and he also respected average uh, people. He never forgot where he came from. Uh, you know, Luther can speak to this much better than I can, but, you know, you know, he was a grandson of slaves. Uh, he was, as I understand it, mopping floors at the news when he found out that he had passed the bar. Uh, and he never forgot where he came from. Uh, He used his success to really uh, benefit average folks. He helped to found the NAACP Freedom Fund Dinner in Detroit, which for a long time was the largest sit-down dinner in the world, uh, when Rosa Parks was burglarized and and someone broke into her house. He uh, helped move her out and get her into an apartment building with. Security, and then of course when the Charles uh, H. Wright Museum of African American History uh, faced some real challenges, he convened community leaders, and as a result of that convening, those community leaders went ahead and saved the museum. And so there were so many times where through his leadership, he stepped up to the plate. Uh, just again, never forgot where he came from. At the same time, you know, he had friends. Uh, you know, uh, Etzel Ford, uh, other, other people who came from different parts of, uh, you know, the economic strata uh, here. Uh, he was uh, during a very t- uh, time of great polarization. On one hand, he was very close to Mayor uh, Coleman Young, uh, but then he also had these, these very good friends, uh, uh who who were uh you know in gross point and in different places he really bridged uh communities uh here he he looked at people as as human beings and did not vilify them uh and uh you know there's just so much that all of us can learn from him
2: yeah Spencer, those are great comments i think you are so right on point with that um and it's really you can't really sum up him in a word or two, a phrase or two. That's why all these incredible tributes that we've seen and we're going to see more um, because he really, think about this, 50 years, that's two generations plus he's been on that federal bench and all the things that have happened in the last 50 years in America. And he's been part of that. Um, I think, too, Darren, um, if I may say so, people say, well, how's to honor Damon Keith, the way to, to honor Damon Keith is to, 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 to stand up for the things he stood up for. Justice, fairness, equal opportunity under the law, and where there is injustice, you know, uh, you've know, you heard the expression, what would Rosa do? What would Jesus do? What would Damon do? Because we all know that he would do the right thing, and hopefully, you know, people can be inspired and persevere through this, and you know, he had a life, if you wrote a Hollywood script, you say, oh, this is too crazy. He was a janitor, grandson of slaves, uh, and uh, he was a, ja- you know, how how, how, how could he be right? Uh, and a lot of people say, uh, had uh, we had the right administration, he would have been on a Supreme Court. In matter of fact, I've heard uh, some talk that when he got back to uh, Clinton, was he, at that time his age was a, and some of the addition, but many people think he should in fact should have been appointed to the Supreme Court. I imagine Spencer researched that himself, you know. So, uh, you know, so so his legacy is is something that historians will assess for years, I think.
1: And and Luther, um, and and both of you all, Luther, I want you to talk um, about his soul food brunch every year, um, and then right. both of you, I'd like to. Um, you all to tell me something that would that people would be surprised, or they they don't know anything about Judge Keith at all.
2: I'll let i let Spencer go first because I was, I had a pretty good run that last time. Um, go ahead,
0: Spencer. I think that well, thanks so much, Luther, and I I agree about uh, him being on the Supreme Court. Uh, I think that that is something that certainly was a possibility and that, you know, he's the, that that age issue uh, got him. Uh, I think something that is, surprised, okay, now I don't know if people are going to be surprised by this, but I'm, I'm just going to lay it out there because I don't think we talk about it a lot. He was a big advocate of the why and of health and of exercise and self-care like this morning, I read the proverb from today of this day in the month because Judge Keith taught me to do it, the second proverb, right? So he read a proverb. He was very much into self-care. And, you know, I don't think earlier on in life I really appreciated the value of that as much. So, again, he'd run. He was very he, he wasn't, you know, some people are lawyers and they just kind of work themselves to death or they, uh, you know, drink themselves into the ground and they think it's just about working hard. And he was a hard worker. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but. He also believed in self-care in terms of that, also his his spiritual walk, as we talk about, in terms of meditation uh, every day and prayer, in terms of uh, being an active church goer, in terms of being a wonderful husband uh, here uh, to his wife, Dr. Rachel Keith. And so uh, You know, maybe that's a surprise, maybe it's not. But uh, this notion of being an outstanding individual who gets all this acclaim, but is also a very good family man and and also really believes in kind of self-care, not just the external things, but the internal things. Uh, really, really focusing on. Uh, I think that those are really uh, important uh, important attributes to learn from.
2: And I, I totally agree. And the other thing is that um, Damon Keith got a lot of people jobs or opportunity, or at least he got them at the door. He he never broadcasted. And, but if he but he was more than willing to do it. Uh, one of the things, again, I think my father shared this philosophy was that he didn't think black folks couldn't afford to be successful just for them. If you were black and you had any achievement, you had an obligation to reach back, open a door, and help somebody else get through that door. That's why I think he always remained so humble because he. At the end of the day, he saw himself as a servant, not an overseer. A servant, and um, he always wanted to find a way, you know, to to serve people and you know write a letter for somebody, uh, introduce somebody, uh, and uh, that was something that he carried with him. And of course, his great sense of community. Um, he, for years, he was a member of the Old Tabernacles Church, or uh, uh, under the late Frederick uh, Sampson, well, my mother was a member of that church for 50 years. Over on time in Detroit for those of you who remember the old West Side, and this, of course then he became active at Hartford. Um, so he was very strong, very religious uh, man. Uh, but the other thing is, you know, uh, is that he had, he had a real sense of uh, righteous anger, and you didn't want to see Damon Keith mad okay, he had a real sense of, and I didn't see it often, but when he felt, and it came from a sense of injustice, when he saw, like Spencer said, Detroit uh, Edison putting marks by the names of black people on application forms, uh, he saw how the game was played and what was done, and so that that angered him in a righteous way and drove him to say, I'm going to change this so you know, he had uh he had anger, but it was well used, well placed. He wasn't somebody who would blow up all the time. Most of the time his, his demeanor is extremely calm. Extremely calm. But he always knew what was going on. He always had that strong sense of justice which drove him uh it drove him in his judicial chambers But also, that sense of justice guided him in how he treated everybody the same way.
0: You know, you don't have to have a
2: title or a degree.
0: Yeah. Uh, And just building on that in terms of Luther is so right on this. So she definitely had anger and kind of indignation in terms of things. But he allowed it to motivate him, uh, inspired him. He used that in a very constructive manner, uh, both to address problems and legal problems and also to shape his own behavior. There's a story I tell my students, right? So I'm the president of the Joint Center, which is a black think tank, but I'm also a tenured professor at George Washington uh, University. And every class I start with, I I talk about Judge Keith, and I talk about how Uh, a lot of black lawyers were disrespected by black judges uh, when he was practicing. And so when he got on the bench, you know, he made it, he went out of his way. That'd be very rigorous in his questioning. Right. But very, very respectful of, attorneys. He remembered where he came from. He remembered the transgressions of those who had abused their power. And he went out of his way not to abuse his own. And I use that to talk about civility and what my standard of civility is in my classroom and where it comes from. And, uh, you know, that 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 notion of, yes, things happened to him. Yes, uh, there was a certain anger and righteous indignation. But it was just used in a he knew how to channel it in a constructive way, you know, better than uh, pretty much anyone that I have come across in my 50 years on the planet.
1: Okay, you guys both have talked about standard and a standard that he set, um, not only as a man, but what he did in his work. What kind of standard did he set for both of you all?
2: I'm sorry, Darren. Can you say that again?
1: What kind of standard did Judge Keith and for you, your uncle, um, set for both of you all?
2: Well, for me, for me, he, he put the bar high. He put the, the bar high in that um, he expected excellence. He expected you to work. He expected you to achieve. I know, as I said in the column, there's a time when I was graduating out of journalism school, and I wasn't sure if I could be a a, a journalist. I wasn't sure if I was good enough or smart enough. And he always said, you can do this. He said, you can do this. And that sense of um, you're supposed to achieve, and not only that, Going back to the old days of thinking about, you know, Uncle Damon coming up back in the 30s and 40, or the 40s, they, you would call him a race man, okay? That meant somebody who stood up for black folks. And he expected us to be, or me to be, a race man or a race woman as the case may be. So you had to succeed. I often say this, this is just apropos of this discussion when I became a journalist. And as you know, Darren have done a lot I've done a lot of work to try to provide opportunities. And I also said this I this is the way I look at equal opportunity. I want to be able to somebody to hire a black journalist or black reporter. I want that reporter to screw up, be the worst reporter the newspaper ever had, get fired, but I don't want that held against the next black reporter. Okay? So um that's about equal opportunity opportunity but at the end of the day his his thing was you get that opportunity you got to do something with it you've got to be good you've got to be great because we need you your people need you and that's what he was about his people needed him america needed him but his people needed him and he understood that
1: okay and for you spencer Um,
0: yes I think that that's absolutely right. He, I remember so, many, you know, so many things from him resonate through my mind. In terms of, there was one situation we were in. We were working on a project together, and he said, "You uh, know," I said, "Well, you know, maybe we can't do it." He said, "Son, we we like to win, don't we? We like to win." <laughs> and I said, "Yes, uh, we do, right?" And and and. Really, his voice has continued to resonate uh, and, and you know, in my mind here. I can hear that voice saying that we like to win, don't we? Uh, he really was about uh, excellence, but again, not winning at any cost, not winning, you know, cutting corners, but uh, doing uh, an excellent job. I think something else that uh, we haven't talked a lot about is he really was uh, a great mentor. To we talked about the clerks, but if you look at the federal judiciary and the people who are on the bench, uh, so many people who are on the bench, uh, particularly who are African American, who are on the court of appeals, who are on the uh, uh, district court, really looked up to him. He'd have uh, for his birthday, which it was appropriately on the fourth of July. Uh, we'd often get together down at a farm in Richmond. And there were judges from uh, all over the country who would, you know, come in for his birthday and uh, other civil rights leaders like Elaine Jones. And, you know, people really were just motivated by him and uh, and looked up to him. Uh, And as Luther said, you know, it was never a situation of being anti anyone, but he was definitely pro uh, his community, pro 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 pro-black uh, here, and not pro-black in terms of, you know, separatists or whatever, but, but really lifting people up and giving them opportunities and including them. Uh, there's so many things I can think about in terms of, you know, uh, him giving people opportunities to become... Uh, members of the Sixth Circuit in terms of lawyers being part of the Sixth Circuit Bar and inviting people so that they could become members to uh, an event. Uh, and he was, he was, again, always thinking about how to include uh, and, and give opportunities uh, to a variety of people, in particular, uh, you know, young black lawyers and, and others from the community. Uh, I, one other thing, and I'm sorry I'm going on here is that, you know, his focus was law. He was a federal judge, but he was also a leader. And it's just such a great example of whether we're a journalist or whether we run a think tank or whether we are professors or whether we're in a company, how we can use uh, both be good at our jobs and then also use the platform Uh, to help advance others in the community. He really was a a sterling example of that.
1: Okay. And as we uh, get out of here, um, I would be remiss to ask Luther um, how the family is doing at this time. And then for you both to uh, give your final thoughts on Judge Damien Keith.
2: Well, the family is coping. uh, You know, I think, uh, there's there are a lot of tears, uh, but I think we know uh, uh, what has to be done. And Judge Keith, in fact, uh, my uncle Damon planned for this day. So his funeral, which will be at Hartford, has been planned. He's got he's personally picked his the ministers to will be coming from various parts of the country for this event. And I think you know the last thing that we can do is you know give him the kind of homegoing uh, that. Uh, He deserves, and in my case, I'm honored. I am going to be one of the pallbearers, and it's the last thing I can do for uh, my uncle. Um, And I'm gonna keep him in my heart, uh, as most, as all of us will, for forever. And um, and hopefully, uh, the work that I do, and so many others like Spencer is doing in his field, and you and yours, that we all, you know, honor his legacy by doing what we can do to move this nation. Uh, Toward what he always said, one nation under law, one nation under law, not one nation under this president, not one nation under a king, not one nation under a preacher, one nation under law. And he always emphasized that. And if we can strive, then we can move closer to the kind of nation that we aspire uh, to be.
0: Um, So first, I want to just start off and thank... Luther and his entire family for sharing Judge Keith with us. I mean, we all really benefited uh, from that, and we appreciate that, that you all being supportive of him and just sharing uh, him uh, with us, and we are certainly, we're obviously all grieving, uh, but we also want to be very supportive of, of you all in terms of uh, family law. So no, you're thank you, our, our thoughts and prayers. Um, the other thing I wanted to say is that, you know, I, I'm, I want to go, I'm going to go to Detroit and I certainly want to honor a man who was my most significant legal mentor. And public service mentor, and I'm 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 doing that. But you know, I'm also going to to learn more and observe in terms of a life well lived. I think that certainly we want to honor uh, uh, this, this this man in terms of Judge Keith, in terms of all he's done. But I think that there's so many lessons to learn. Uh, we all have a finite uh, period of time here. Uh, in in uh, life, and, and I, I personally think I am going to get more out of going to this service than uh, I will contribute uh, by being uh, there, uh, just because there's so much to observe, absorb and so much to learn and so much to take in from reflecting on this life well lived.
1: Well, that's great. Well, thank you, gentlemen. I, I, we appreciate you. Thank you, dear. you. I
2: Appreciate you devoting the time uh, to this. And these types of things, again, bring great comfort to the family in this time of loss. So I want to thank you for, for giving us the opportunity.
1: Absolutely. And I thank yeah, you thank all. Thank you so much. Thank you both for being on. And until next time, uh, we'll see you on Beyond the Headlines.
2: All right. Take care. All right,
1: thanks. As we leave Beyond the Headlines, I want to. Give our listeners an inspirational quote for you guys to ponder each week as you get ready for the new show. It's from Dr. Martin Luther King. It reads, If you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. Until next time. We'll see you on Beyond the Headlines.